you'll see uh, in your handouts uh, that under the sermon, uh, I've put just a short set, uh, one sentence summary, uh, which I hope is helpful uh, for gaining uh, some sort of insight and understanding into these final chapters as a chunk of Daniel 10, 11 and 12. Despite ongoing conflict, God's people will have peace in this life and the next. Despite ongoing conflict, that much is sure, ongoing conflict. Something else is sure, God's people will have peace in this life and the next. Uh, as I said, that's my one sentence summary of Daniel 10 to 12. Actually, it's a pretty good summary of all of Daniel, if you think about it. Um, we talk about ongoing conflict, and as I've already said today, today uh, it's 21 years since the planes crashed into the Twin Towers in New York. Uh, but even so, in terms of politics and warfare, those of us who have lived our whole life in Australia, that's nearly all of us, we have led a relatively conflict-free life. We might not think that, of course. Uh, you might have experienced a great deal of personal conflict. Uh, you may uh, also feel uh, the pinch of the conflicts that occur across the seas. But, uh, but really, uh, we weren't around for World War One. World War II, or even construction era of Vietnam. Now there's people around the world who have lived through some stuff uh, and who suffer and die. Uh, and there's people in this church who have tasted some of that suffering. But for the most of us, the things we feel are really bad simply pale in comparison uh, certainly to what can be. But even the things that we feel, many of us in our lives are really bad certainly pale into comparison to what currently is for others in other portions of the world in terms of warfare, corruption, strife, poverty, etc. Even so, Daniel 10 to 12 tells us that despite ongoing conflict and times of trouble, that is, whether you experience times of war or not, God's people will have peace. It's like Jesus saying in John chapter 11 that those who believe in him will live even though they die. How's that for a contradiction in a single sentence? Jesus says, if you believe in me, you will live even though you die. Death doesn't cancel life. In fact, it's a doorway to new life. And so conflict doesn't necessarily cancel peace because Christ offers us a peace that passes understanding and a peace that surpasses circumstances. So we're going to look at Daniel 10 to 12. Uh, the first words of chapter 10 tell us we are in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Well, what does that already tell us? Well, the book of Ezra in the Bible begins in the first year of Cyrus. So let me read the first three verses from the book of Ezra. Uh, I've got to find it in my Bible. Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. So Daniel's in the third year of Cyrus. This is what the Bible says about the first year of Cyrus. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, uh, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. And this is uh, what Cyrus decided in his first year of his reign. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, 
the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. House here, here, temple. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. So, King Cyrus is the king who ends the Jews' period of captivity in Babylon, uh, which has been the whole context of the book of Daniel up until now. In his first year, Cyrus gives the Jews the permission and the resources to return to Jerusalem and rebuild their temple. This is exciting stuff. This is the thing they've been waiting for. Most living Jews by this time have been born into a time of captivity. They don't even know uh, what it used to be like uh, or, or what it was meant to be like. So they waste no time. They return to Jerusalem immediately, we find, in the book of Ezra. They rebuild uh, the altar so that they can resume making sacrifices to God. And then the next thing is to rebuild the temple. And they start laying the foundation to rebuild the temple. Again, exciting stuff. Except their nearby enemies start pressing in on them again so that the work almost immediately <coughs> grinds to a halt. All the enthusiasm is forgotten. It's replaced with fear and frustration, and the people quickly return to just survival mode. And so back in Daniel 10, Daniel was in the third year, uh, so probably not more than two years since, um, since the people had returned. He's in the third year of King Cyrus, so by this time many of Daniel's people have returned to the motherland, they've enthusiastically started work, they've rebuilt the altar, but already work has stopped. In the space of less than three years, and Daniel, by this time an old man, he is still stranded in exile. He can't even be there to light a fire under them, which I'm sure he would have. He was a competent leader. Now this probably explains Daniel's state of mind in chapter 10, verse 2. He says, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. He is fasting and praying. And then God appears to him in yet another prophetic vision. And then this vision takes us all the way to the end of the book. It spans chapter 10, 11, and 12. In chapter 10, we learn that Daniel, on the back of three weeks of prayer and fasting, is greeted by a man from heaven who is sent to comfort him. In fact, I don't know how else to read the description of the man from verses 5 and 6, except that this is, in fact, a vision of Jesus. 600 or so years before Jesus' life on earth and his glorious resurrection. I say this because if you read the opening chapter of Revelation, the last book of your Bible, it matches almost perfectly with the vision that the Apostle John receives when he describes the risen Lord Jesus. In verse 1 of chapter 10, it says that the content of the vision is summarised as a great conflict. So that's what 10, 11, and 12 is all about, a great conflict. Uh, in, verse, in chapter 11, we get that conflict, conflict spelled out in extraordinary detail, and you can read that for yourself. In chapter 12, Daniel asks when this conflict is all going to end in victory. And in summary, he gets told it will end. But when is only for God to precisely know, to know. Uh, and it's up to you and your people to persevere until the end. 
So again, in a sentence, these three chapters tell us that despite ongoing conflict, God's people will have peace in this life and in this. So in terms of our summary sentence, what does chapter 10 tell us? Starting with two things. It explains the true nature of the conflict and it introduces us to a supernatural peace. Let's look first at the true nature of the conflict. Let's remember again what's happening. Uh, to the west of where Daniel is, the Jews' glorious return to Jerusalem has already stumbled. Where Daniel is in Babylon, he's spending three weeks depriving himself and praying. And in the spiritual realm, angels are fighting unseen battles. That's what chapter 10 tells us. Angels are fighting unseen battles. Daniel can only see what's happening in the West. From where he sits in Babylon, Daniel can only control his own response, and his response is to pray. And then he's told that God's angels are wielding weapons against other spiritual princes. Now that's in verses 12 and 13. For the 21 days that Daniel has been battling in prayer, a battle has been raging in the angelic realm. Let's read it. Again, verses 12 and 13. He said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. This language of princes and kings, uh, these aren't men, these are people who look like men, but these are uh, angelic forces. Now, I don't fully understand this either, by the way. I don't talk about angels every day. You don't see angels even on every page of the Bible, for crying out loud. And so this is, a, this is an unusual window, uh, even uh, in spiritual terms. So for the 21 days that Daniel's been battling in prayer, a battle has been raging in the angelic realm between spiritual princes. The angelic prince Michael is joining this angel that's talking to Daniel against the prince of Persia uh, in the same way that chapter 11 verse 1 shows that the angel that's currently talking to Daniel had once joined Michael uh, as reinforcements back in year 1 of Darius the Man. Now what on earth are we to do with this? Well there's two opposite mistakes. First is that we can forget the spiritual elements of life. The opposite mistake is that we can forget the physical elements of life. Uh, this first, the first risk, and I think the more likely risk for most of us, particularly uh, in a pretty comfortable Western sort of age and, and place, is to forget the spiritual. To live only in terms of flesh and blood. To think that all problems can be solved by critical thinking, hard work, and or money. Now those of us who tend to forget to pray are the people who make this mistake, to live mainly in the physical, forgetting the spiritual elements of life. But there are some who do the opposite mistake, some who forget the physical, practical elements of life, who get fascinated with the one page in the Bible that talks about these angel battles and thinks, wow, well, I need to pray in terms of angel battles now. Or the per who, the, these people who rightly sense 
spiritual forces behind every physical and tangible event, uh, but who get preoccupied with diagnosing and identifying those sources when even Daniel was only given glimpses. I've heard people talk about curses that hang over church buildings and demons. People who blame marriage problems on an attack of the devil when sometimes all it would have taken is patience and courtesy. The truth is that spiritual and physical happen alongside each other. And they're not really, they're not disconnected. But we just can't, we don't see the connection all the time. Sometimes prayer brings physical healing. Sometimes exercise restores spiritual equilibrium. Struggles with lust require monitoring internet use and how you engage with the opposite sex, as well as prayer. Struggles with prayer are sometimes helped by setting an alarm or attending church or a Bible study group. Daniel didn't need to know what Michael and the angels were up to uh, so that he could pray informed prayers. He didn't need to pray Michael's name or this angel's name or anything like that. Uh, he, we, get a, we get an example of Daniel's style of prayer back in chapter 9 we talked about last week. He was praying repentance. He was pleading for mercy from God. And God is free to act how uh, and when he desires. Romans chapter 8 uh, I'm going to read a couple of verses from Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27, which, I, which I, I hope are a comfort for us in terms of thinking, well, how do we pray in terms of you know, the, these wild and fantastic spiritual things that are going on behind the scenes? How, how does that teach us to pray? Here's what Paul wrote in his letter to the Romans. He said, we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Don't you feel like that sometimes? We do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Friends, we can pray very simple prayers. And God may well answer in very complex spiritual ways that you and I might not ever see in the background. Uh, but I, I believe we're empowered to pray in simple language. Despite ongoing conflict, God's people will have peace in this life and the next. The, the conflict is ongoing. And it lives in the world of flesh and blood and in the unseen realm of the spirit. I, I hope you picked that up in our reading from Ephesians, a much more familiar reading. Ephesians 6, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against, and he uses this language of you know, royalty and, and, and powers uh, when it talks about the spiritual realm. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. I reckon Paul was... You know, trying to use language to describe something like what he read about in Daniel chapter 10. That there's spiritual stuff going on that we do not understand, and that is why we pray. The conflict is ongoing, and it lives in the world of flesh and blood and in the unseen realm of the spirit. Uh, but Daniel chapters 10, 11, 12 teach us that God's people will have peace. And that's the other thing that chapter 10 introduces us to. 
supernatural priest. Okay, so if, in, in fact, it feels to me like a case study of, uh, of these words. If you've got your finger in Ephesians chapter 6, but flick over just a couple of pages to the end of Philippians, again, if you've been around church a little while, you, you will be familiar with these words. If not, that's fine. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A peace of God that surpasses understanding. Here's what I think I find really quite interesting about uh, these visions of Daniel from 10, 11 and 12. In Daniel 10, Daniel is provided with peace before he is given understanding. He doesn't get understanding until chapters 11 and 12, but he's given peace. Here's what happens. He's, he's on the tail end of three weeks of depriving himself uh, of fasting. Uh, his body is already weak, and then he sees this heavenly vision, maybe even the Lord Jesus himself, uh, and, and he's crushed almost by it. He falls to his knees. Uh, he cannot speak. Uh, and uh, Sorry, he falls on his face. He cannot speak, uh, and he cannot lift his head. And then a hand touches him and says, Be strengthened. And he rises to his knees, but he still can't speak. And then again, be strengthened, have peace. And he rises to his feet and he sort of eeps out a couple of words. And then again, again, be strengthened, have peace. And he's able to speak and engage. And then take in the rest of the vision. The vision itself is, is, is part of the peace thing, right? Because like, it's telling him what's going to come and it's, it's meaning, meaning to answer some of his concerns about the future. But he is just given peace and strength before he even has understanding. There is a peace that surpasses understanding. A peace that does not depend on understanding. So friends, we don't always need to know the answer to the question, why? To still be able to find peace in God. Now I told you you can read chapter 11 for yourself. I, still, I, I recommend it. Um, you might remember from chapter 7 and 8, uh, we got uh, some visions, some really funky visions. There were beasts coming out of the sea, one after the other. And these were kingdoms and rulers. Uh, and then one of the beasts had horns. And then one of the horns uh, displaced other horns. And then there was more horns and more horns. Uh, and, uh, and there's all these wild things going on. And we, we, we were able to formulate at least this much of a picture that conflict and power struggles will continue until the end. Just a relentless way of, you know, one rise to power followed by another rise to power followed by another. Uh, and, and chapter 11 spells out a very similar chain of events, only not really in figurative language. It's really remarkable. Uh, it talks in detail about rulers, even about marriage alliances, even details of specific battles. It tells of uh, somewhere in the teens the number of kings who, as, who would to come after the time of Daniel, but if you read your history book, uh, you can match it up pretty well one for one. We're not going to do that now. Uh, but it culminates uh, in about the middle of the 2nd century BC 
with a guy, uh, a, a really bad ruler, a really nasty one. Uh, and, uh, and history now tells us uh, that he was almost definitely the man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. Now Epiphanes was a, was a name that he gave himself. Uh, Epiphanes means God manifest. Antiochus was pretty full of himself. And Antiochus desecrated the temple of the Jews, the one that, uh, so this is in the future, right? So the temple that's halted in the time of Daniel uh, does eventually get finished. Uh, and then there's power struggle, power struggle, power struggle. Antiochus Epiphanes comes in uh, and he desecrates the temple by uh, sacrificing pigs on the altar. Uh, and then he puts a stop to all the other temple sacrifices. And he's sort of a type of what, you know, the really nasty, ugly uh, kind of leadership can look like in the world. Leadership. Now, why does God reveal all of this to Daniel, all this stuff that's not yet happened? Uh, what good does it do Daniel to hear all that? And, and perhaps even a more uh, pointed question for us, what, now that that stuff has already happened, what good does it tell, does it give us? Uh, what good does it do us to sort of read back Daniel chapter 11 and uh, and see all this stuff that's already unfolded and taken up. Well, this is part of what it does for Daniel. For him to be told about what's to come, it tells Daniel at least this, that God has written it all down. God is the future's master. So times of trouble will come, but God is in control. And in fact, for us, looking back, it does the same thing. God was the master of the future then, he is the master of the future now. And this gives us a peace. Not, I don't think, a perfect peace. Because it's a peace uh, that coexists with struggle and strife. Not a perfect peace because battles continue to rage, but it's a kind of peace. It's at least an inner peace. A peace that... Uh, <laughs> Uh, that is helped by understanding, even if it surpasses understanding. We are given at least the understanding that God is in control. And then we have chapter 12, the Daniel, the final chapter. Uh, and the dialogue uh, comes back for, between Daniel, this is Daniel now, back on the Tigris, but he's uh, at, at the river, and, and he, starts, um, he starts engaging again with uh, these angels that are before him. Let me read chapter 12. You can find it on page 750 if you've got one of At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who is charged of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation until that time. But at that, at that, at that time your people, he's talking to Daniel, at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But Daniel shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. 
Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long? How long shall it be till the end? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, and he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. Again, the non-specific sort of examples, this language. How long? Oh, for time, times, and half a time. And that the shattering of the power of the holy people comes, uh, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things will be finished. Daniel is so human. It says in verse 8, I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Despite ongoing conflict, God's people will have peace in this life and the next. And particularly, Daniel, Daniel chapter 12 is talking to us about the next. Because in this life, there will be times of trouble to the end. Chapter 12, verse 1, There shall be a time of trouble such as never been seen since there was a nation until that time. But at that time, in the time of trouble, in the time of the worst trouble, for such that has never been seen, in that time your people will be delivered. Further on in verse 7. I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his hands to heaven and swore by him who lives forever it would be for a time, times and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. So when the Holy Ones are shattered is when these things will be finished. And yet there's these windows into the life to come, the time ahead. Like in verse 2, many of those who, asleep, who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the sky above. This is an example of hundreds of years before the time of Jesus, the Bible telling us that there will be a universal resurrection from the dead. That there is a time of judgment when God will open his book and he will bring people back to life and he will separate some to the right and some to the left. And for God's people, there is hope for a peace that's eternal. When? How long? 
or for a time, times and half a time. Does that make sense to you? Or it didn't make sense to Daniel either? And he said, I still don't understand. But it tells us at least this, right? It, it, it feels like a long time, an indefinite time that sort of stretches, and yet a time with, with a limit. Because why else cut that last time short to half a time? It's cut short. There's an, there is an end, but it seems a really long way away. Well, Daniel says, I don't understand, and it gets a little bit more specific then, down in verse 11. From that time until the end, 1,290 days. What do we do with that? Well, that's still a lot of days, but that tells us that, it, at least in one sense, it will be quite a short time. And it, but it also tells us something else, that, that it is a very specific time, that there is a number known by God. And what do we do with all of this? Well, I said a couple of weeks ago uh, that there's a, a couple of different types of people who read the book of Daniel. Uh, there's people who, uh, who, much more like myself, tend to try to take like a single helpful theme uh, or picture away. There's other people who can get very fascinated in all the details. And, and, it's, and it's not a bad thing to try to unpick all the details. But I do find in Daniel chapter 12 a license to try to just take the, the simple reins. Because three times in chapter 12, the angel says to him, more or less, go on your way. The more Daniel questions the details, the more he is told, no, that's the end. The, the vision's complete, it's sealed up. You know, you already know now all you need to know. But your job now is to go on, to press on, to persevere until the end. Times will be tough, okay? We can learn that. But there is an end, and there is a peace. The path is understanding, and it goes to the end. We have a down payment on that peace, uh, because uh, just at the end of Daniel chapter 12, it talks about how the holy people will be crushed, and then the end, and peace will come. Or who was more holy than our Lord Jesus? Who was more crushed? than the man on the cross. And yet who is reigning in more glory uh, than the one who rose again three days later? Now that was not the end, but a down payment on the end. And just as when Jesus' body entered, uh, uh, when Jesus uh, died, graves burst open and people rose to life again, there will be a resurrection. The books will be open. And those who know and trust our Lord Jesus and who have persevered until the end will have that perfect peace, eternal peace. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you uh, for its variety, uh, that there's something always fresh, something to challenge us. Father, we thank you even uh, in here uh, for just the sharp clarity as well, this reminder uh, of these home truths, that an end is coming. And for most of us, the most immediate end is going to be 
the grave. And our job for now is to persevere until then. To walk in faith. To pursue peace. Uh, peace with our neighbours, but peace in our spirit, a peace that comes from you. To be people who pray, even though we do not understand everything behind the scenes. For us to simply pray with a simple faith. And to be assured that you hold all things in your hand and you are always in control. I pray that you will help us to fight this spiritual battle with prayer and with persistence. I pray all this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Um.